Well, good morning again. Nice to have you all here today. And we are going to go into 1 Corinthians again. Last week, we went into chapter 1, and it was important to do that to understand a little bit better the sermon today. So those of you that were not here last week are a little, little bit of a disadvantage. Um, maybe I could, just after we pray, maybe I could give you a little uh, summary of what we covered last week. Maybe you could give me one if you were here. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your holy word, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be guided and directed by your word. We have many people in the world today that say they're Christians, but rarely open this book. And we believe, Lord, that the prophets are inspired, and that every word is profitable. And Lord, we as a church family need a lot of guidance. We need to see a moving of the Holy Spirit. We, some of us are praying for revival and reformation, and this is a burden on some of our hearts, Lord. We know that this church can't move forward in man's strength. It has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we know that there are people out there in our community that are pretty upset at the Anderson Seventh-day Adventist Church at this point in time. But I pray, Lord, that you'll bless the literature that's gone out and that some people somewhere will turn to you. Bless us now as we open your word. May your spirit be in control. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's give you a quick summary of what we briefly mentioned last week. As most of you know, the Apostle Paul Part of his role as an apostle was to plant churches, so he planted a number of churches. The church of Corinth was one of them. Corinth is in Greece. We could jump on a plane now and all go for a vacation there. How about that? I think the church budget can take it. All right. So in Corinth, as this gospel is going to the non-Jewish world, in Corinth... Um, teachers came in while Paul was away. You've kind of heard this storyline many, many times, and basically wreaked havoc on that local church. The church we know for sure was divided into four factions. That's bad. Just if you knew nothing else, that alone is really bad. We don't want that to happen at the Anderson Church, right? It's crucial that we are a unified group. We're not all going to agree on everything, that's obvious, but we have to move together in unity. The devil will do everything he can to cause divisions, and he did it very successfully in Corinth through what I believe were Jewish Christian Gnostics. Gnostic, Gnosticism was a very big threat to the early Christian church, definitely in the second century and we can definitely see traces of it even when the time that this book was written. 
So I, that's the, to me, is that's the historical context that makes the most sense. Gnostics, what was the problem with them? Well, they basically devalued the body. Uh, so they devalued the human body. They, some of them felt you could be as immoral as, as you wanted to. It really didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was the spirit. To be connected to the, to the universal spirit was the most important thing. That gave you special knowledge, special wisdom. Any of you have heard of secret societies, Masonic lodges and things like that, possibly even Mormonism to some extent, have this idea of something secret, uh, a knowledge that's not known to everybody. So that was, that was a problem. Another problem was a tremendous emphasis on certain spiritual gifts. So today we will be talking about spiritual gifts. But it's important to understand Paul is not just writing about gifts because he wants to educate people specifically about gifts, but he's writing about them because there's a problem. So this is why Peter says, well, there are things in Paul's writings that are really easy to twist. Yeah, we twist them because often we don't know the historical context. We don't know why women were asked to veil themselves. We might be able to understand a little bit about uh, lawsuits and, and things like that, uh, but we just don't know all the historic. We have to kind of read between the lines very often when Paul uh, gives his advice. So the false teachers were causing trouble. They were causing division. They were exalting the gift of tongues um, as making them spiritual people. So one of the thoughts that you need to, to have, if we could summarize this sermon or give it a title is, who is a spiritual person? Is it someone like the Gnostics who were claiming to be very super spiritual people with then wisdom and knowledge and their uh, special gifts that they have? Or is a spiritual person shown in another way, in a different way? So that's part of what we're discussing this morning. Also realize that chapters 12, 13, and 14 are a unit. Now, we may not have time to, because chapter 12 is a pretty long section, we may not have time uh, to, to explain chapter 13 and chapter 14. If we do it, it'll be very, very brief this morning. But I want you to know that they are connected together. So you always have to ask, when Paul is speaking about spiritual gifts, or spiritual persons in chapter 12, and we know for sure that he's talking about tongues and prophecy in chapter 14. Just look at chapter 14 while I'm talking so that, so that you can see that there right at the beginning. So you know there's the discussion in chapter 12 on gifts. That's very, very clear. Chapter 14, two gifts, tongues and prophecy, and then in between, the love chapter. And it took me a while to figure out why the love chapter was there. And the love chapter is there because if love is not central to any display of gifts, and let's remember what the gifts are for. What are the gifts for? To put one another down? To exalt yourself? Well, wouldn't you know it, I actually have with me this morning 
a Seventh-day Adventist statement on spiritual gifts and ministries. And I won't read the whole thing, just a little bit. God bestows upon some members of his church, all members of his church in every age, spiritual gifts which each member is to employ in loving ministry for the common good of the church and of humanity given by the agency of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit enters you, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes control of your life. And I hope that's happened to every single person in this room, because if you don't have the Holy Spirit in control of your life, you're not a Christian, right? So we have to be really clear about that. It's another thing Paul says, and maybe in a different place in Corinthians, if we don't have the Spirit of God, we are none of His. So it doesn't cut it that you're religious or you're a churchgoer or any of that type of stuff. The Holy Spirit uh, defines our spirituality. So the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each member as he wills, the gifts provide all abilities and ministries needed by the church to fulfill its divinely ordained functions. So whatever the Lord Jesus Christ Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want for the Anderson Church family or whatever church family you belong to this morning. Maybe you're a guest here this morning. Hi, guests. We think you're special. Hopefully, we're going to show that. Whatever your church family needs, God promises to provide. The onus is upon us to figure out where our gifts are. And then, of course, find areas of ministry where we can exercise those gifts so that the church can be balanced, harmonious, and moving forward in a fully functioning way. I think when I was in with the Spanish this morning, we have a Spanish group here too. I think one or two out of the group knew what their spiritual gifts were, and only hardly anyone had had, had a spiritual gifts questionnaire. So I tried to explain to them um, the direction that our church is hoping to go with interviews, um, figuring out where our gifts are, having maybe a spiritual gifts evaluation, and then, of course, more importantly, what areas of ministry do we need to be involved in? And we will be discussing some of that on Monday evening. I hope that you're all coming. According to the Scriptures, these gifts include such ministry as faith, healing, prophecy, proclamation, teaching, administration, reconciliation, compassion, self-sacrificing service, charity for the help, encouragement of people. Some members are called of God and endowed by the Spirit for functions recognized by the church in pastoral, evangelistic, apostolic, and teaching ministries, particularly needed to equip the members for service to build up the church to spiritual maturity. See, a church is not spiritually mature. I don't care how good they look on the outside. A church is not spiritually mature if a small percentage of the members are doing the, the service and the ministry. So this is, this is a kind of really important to grasp this. And those of you that have read um, Borrell's book that's been passed around, um, Talk, talk where he talks about, in fact, I've been reading a different one this week, so I have a little bit of an edge. Pastor always needs a little bit of an edge, don't you think? Revolution in the church, unleashing the awesome power of lay ministry. So here he does lay a big emphasis on spiritual gifts, 
figuring out your spiritual gifts, how they should be used in service or in ministry. The goal, and some, say, some have said to me it's, a, it's an unrealistic goal, but it's a biblical goal, whether we think it's unrealistic or, or not. It's an Ellen White writings goal that we all are involved in works of service, in building up the body of Christ. And, and it, it can't be a spiritually mature church if just a small percentage is doing that and the rest are not. When members employ these spiritual gifts as faithful stewards of God's varied grace, the church is protected. Do you want to have the Anderson Church protected? You want it protected from outside forces. You want it protected from inside forces. Satan works both ways. We should know that if, we, if we've read our Bible. So the church is protected from the destructive influence of false doctrine, grows with a grace that is from God, and is built up in faith and love. Hence the love chapter, all of these things, no matter how gifted, talented an individual is, everything has to be demonstrated in a loving way. And what does, what does it mean to love? In this context, it means to build up. So if you have church members that are putting you down because they have the gift of tongues, for example, back to Corinth, and you don't, good or bad? Bad or really bad? Really, really bad. Really bad totally defeats the purpose of God, because God has given the gifts to be, build, to be building, to be encouraging, to be training. I'm very interested to find out in this congregation, those of you who have been gifted by God to train others, to equip others, to mentor others, all of that certainly as part of a pastor's role, and I think a lot of pastors have not been taught that and have been through seminary, and that's not been expected of them. And so what we actually have here in North America, unfortunately, I'm not, not saying this is true in all parts of the world, we know that there are parts of the world where the Holy Spirit is blessing in a tremendous way. I mean, we are literally talking of thousands of people responding a little bit like we saw uh, at Pentecost. Um, but usually where that happens, or maybe always where that happens, is it's where the church members are essentially doing the majority of the ministry and the service. And the pastors are putting their time in, maybe they have a lot of churches, they're putting their time in to guiding, directing, possibly equipping, though I would imagine the local elders would, would tend to be doing a lot of that in those places. And, and the, the pastor, in many respects, is a little bit of an administrator in, in those types of situations. But that's where we see the rapid growth, where we get high percentage of member involvement. Okay, let's start with chapter 12. Now, how does your Bible read? Mine reads, now about spiritual gifts. And it doesn't clue me in, bad NIV, it doesn't clue me in, that the word gifts is not there in the manuscript. Now, you all understand that these are taken from Greek manuscripts, right? 
So the word gifts is not there. Now in some translations, like David's translation this morning, his, I think, was italicized or something like that. It clued him in, if he was observant, that that was maybe a supplied word. So in the Greek, it's saying pneumatikos. Let me hear you say pneumatikos. Gloria, you've already practiced your Greek this morning, so you should be quite proficient now. Pneumatikos, which just simply means um, spiritual, the word spiritual would, 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 but spiritual what? Spiritual thing, that could be a translation. Spiritual gifts, that's what most of the translators have run with. Or it could be spiritual persons. That, I think, is the best suggestion. Because that fits into the flow of the argument of the book. This book is written because there are divisions in the church caused by these, I don't know if I even should call them Christians, but by these people in the church that were claiming this superior wisdom, knowledge, and spiritual gifts, this special connection with God. So I'm going to go with spiritual persons. I do not want you to be ignorant about who is spiritual. How do you define spirituality in this day and age? Never mind in the first century. Were you spiritual in Corinth if you were one of the prostitutes in the, in, in the temple there? Would that make you spiritual? Some would think so. Were you spiritual if you worship the pagan gods? Many would think that. Wow, look at him, how religious he, he or she is, worshiping the gods, uh, making sacrifices to the gods uh, of money or food or whatever they did. What makes for a spiritual person? So anyway, Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant about that. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you, now, last week, I listed some of the issues in the church of Corinth, if you remember, and I said, would you like to belong to a church like that? Sexual immorality, lawsuits, rich wouldn't eat with the poor at the, at the church, agape feasts, major problems in the communion service, lots of issues. Well, another one is some in the church were cursing the name of Jesus. Can you believe that? Pretty hard to believe, huh? But if you're from a pagan background like I am, that's what we used to do all the time. We would never use the name of Jesus in a sacred way. It was always a swear word, right? So... But of course, now we're talking about people who are supposed to be Christians. So that verse three, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. So there's a very easy way for you to figure out if someone's born of the Spirit or not. Are they cursing the name of Jesus or are they praising it? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The word Lord is the equivalent of Yahweh in the Old Testament. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, same Holy Spirit, so there's not some special Gnostic Spirit out there. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, 
but the same God works all of them in all men. So here we have an emphasis on same and different. Unity and diversity. Both should be there in the church of God. The same God works in all of them. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? I can't hear you. The common good it has in this translation, which is what I just said a few moments ago, to, to build up the church family. So one of the first things that we need to do when we get baptized and join a church family is to figure out what our gifts are, figure out some areas of service and start doing that, because God has brought that person not to sit in a pew, not to be a spectator, but to build an existing church body. So if you think of church growth that way, it's a very different way of thinking of evangelism and church growth, but if you think of it that way, and you start to see new people coming in, we shouldn't see that as a threat. We shouldn't see that as they're invading our turf, right? Some churches are like that, but welcome to the family. Find out how God has gifted them. Ray, that's one of the first things we should be doing with you. Now, he's not waiting for any of us, so he's, he's way ahead of the curve. But I think the point is still valid. We all need to discover our gifts as early in the process as we possibly can so that we can get involved in ministry and service and build up what he calls here the common good. To one there is given the Spirit the message of what? Wisdom. To another the message of knowledge. So then you have to say to yourself, nothing's accidental in Paul's writings. He is a fascinating individual. He lists wisdom and knowledge at the beginning of this list. Now, any of you that have, in fact, there was one Sabbath where I took you through four different lists, kind of quick, so you're not going to remember all of that, but Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, how easy is that to remember? Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. That's, I mean, that's not the only places, but those are the main, the main places where gifts are, are discussed. And you'll know that he'll put something like apostles first, followed by, what, prophets and evangelists or whatever it is. But here it's wisdom and knowledge. Why? Because of the Gnostics. They were claiming special wisdom and knowledge. Now, when we're going to talk about wisdom and knowledge, that comes through the gospel. So if you trace in Paul's writings this, this secret wisdom idea, this secret knowledge, like the world didn't understand, the kings of this world never understood, but you guys understand this secret knowledge, not really secret, I suppose, but it is to many um, who are not, not saved, about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Gnostics were obviously offering something different, so he mentions that. To another, the message... Uh, to another rather faith by the same Spirit, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy. Prophecy is a big one with Adventists. It's a big one with Paul if you go to chapter 14. 
he used the gift of prophecy to give some balance to their overemphasis on speaking in tongues. But I don't think we have the balance on this, pro on this gift in the Seventh-day Adventist church either. If we're going to claim that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy, right? Many of us believe that she was the equivalent of a prophet. Some would say, no, we're not going to call her a prophet. We're going to call her a messenger. But she, to me, it seems that she had the prophetic gift, and, and some of us believe that. Um, but when we go to the book of Joel, it says, in your last days, your sons and your daughters will do what? Singular or plural? Plural. So if we just give this massive emphasis to this one gift and don't also emphasize that the gift can be throughout the body of Christ, then we miss the point of what Paul is saying here in this passage. So it's important to understand the gift of prophecies, and, and he does do a lot of explaining on the importance of that, as I said, in chapter 14. To another, distinguishing between spirits. That is a really important gift when you're living at the end of the age. When Antichrist manifests himself, when it's hard for your senses to know what is true and what is false, and you have the gift to distinguish between spirits, I'm sure that Paul would love for every church member in Corinth to have that gift so that they wouldn't be unduly influenced by this false Gnostic emphasis. Important gift to have. Do you have it? I bet there's someone in this congregation that has it. If God knows that we need it. And by, these, by the way, these lists of gifts, there's about 21 gifts that are listed by Paul in those four passages. They're only a sample. So we don't have to have every one of these gifts. We have to have what God wants us to have to be harmonious and to move his kingdom forward. I'm sure there's many, many gifts that you'll not find uh, listed in, in this passage here or in any of the other of Paul's passages. And to still uh, the gift of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the only Spirit that he's talking about. Verse, um, same Holy Spirit that we saw in verse 3. The same Spirit. And he gives them to each one, not just a select few, just as he determines. So there's no room for envy. You want to be a preacher? then find out if God has given you the gift of preaching. Try it out. Maybe you scored high on your questionnaire. I've told you before about me doing in Sacramento a spiritual gift seminar, and, and uh, an older lady scored very high on preaching, had never preached before in her life. So what does she do? She seems to score high. She'd never even thought about preaching before. So what does she do? Like a good Seventh-day Adventist, she goes to the pastor. Pastor, what am I going to do? I scored high on preaching. So I says, you need to preach. What am I supposed to say? If the, if the questionnaire or the survey indicates that, try it out. 
and we couldn't put her in the pulpit there in that particular church, so she found a way of traveling the world preaching the gospel and seeing hundreds, probably thousands of people by now being baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to refinance your mortgage to find the funds to exercise the gift? Would you be willing to make that kind of sacrifice? Figuring out when you're in your 70s that you have this gift and then finding a way yourself of traveling the world so you can preach the gospel. Pretty exciting stuff, don't you think? Shouldn't be fearful of this. It's true that the Satan attacked the early church on this whole gifts idea. So understand that. And understand that Satan is attacking this church family right now, right? Do you understand that? When you come Monday evening, you'll hear a little bit more about that. And it's not pretty. So, this is really important. Those of you that have read Borel's book that we've passed around, he talks about how crucial this is, how many Seventh-day Adventist churches really struggle in this whole area of spiritual gifts. And I know that there's many churches, like I told you about uh, the church in Sacramento, that have done these spiritual gifts seminars. And I'm sure there's many of you that have been involved in that. But that's only one piece of the puzzle. Identifying is one part. But actually doing is the most important part. And then the sense of satisfaction. Uh, When I went into Hugh's class this morning, before hardly anyone was there, just Ray was in there on his own, he's beaming from ear to ear. Well, he was beaming last week when he got baptized, right? But what's he been doing this week? Been studying the Word? Been sharing the Gospel? So he comes to church, a happy camper. Yeah, he's still here to learn. He's he's got a lot to learn, right? 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 Who's going to teach him? Who's going to train him? Who's going to disciple him? Who's going to get alongside of him? Who's going to do that? You or me? All of us. We're all in this together. So we build him up. Maybe God uses him to build us up too. And that's how the church prospers. And yet it seems to be such a rare occurrence that people are actually... Can you believe it that pastors like myself go through seven years of training and never actually learn how to train members in ministry? And yet when you read through Ellen White's writings and in my office, right right over there, I could pull eight books right off the shelf right now. I could put them here and all of them Gospel workers, whatever the the book might be, testimonies to ministers, the book evangelism, they're all pretty much saying something similar. That we got to find a way for getting all of God's people involved in works of service. Would you like me to share a little bit from this book, which I don't think too many of you have read?
So long as the church members make no effort to give others the help given them, great spiritual feebleness must result. Sometimes ministers do too much. They seek to embrace the whole work in their arms. It absorbs and dwarfs them, and yet they continue to grasp it all. They seem to think that they alone are to work in the cause of God while the members of the church stand idle. This is not God's order at all. That's in the book Evangelism. The greatest help that can be given our people is to teach them to work for God and to depend on Him, not on the ministers. There's many, many good quotations in there, but those of you who have read her writings, you pretty much know uh, what she says. So how can we miss, miss it when it's so obvious in her writings? Somehow, some way, many of us have missed that. We've not been trained, we've not been educated, we've not been shown the way. Many pastors have never been trained, never been mentored. Many church members have not either. And if I did a sermon, which I almost did today, but maybe next week, on what is a pastor's role? What are pastors supposed to be doing? So I actually asked the Spanish group that question this morning. Preaching, teaching, probably, possibly, if they're gifted for that. Training, definitely. Big time training. And those of you who went through Ephesians recently with us here, if I can refresh your memory in the book Ephesians, what chapter? Hmm? Chapter 4. So some of you are remembering. Talks about apostles, prophets, verse 11, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if those, those individuals that are mentioned there or those spiritual persons who have these gifts are doing what God has asked them to do, then the church has a chance of becoming mature. He goes on to speak about uh, infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, and so on. Verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is fun stuff. It's fun to study it. Um, I didn't do this with you guys this morning, but I did it with the Spanish. I went through parts of Borel's book that I've been reading this week where he talks about how can you discover your spiritual gift. He talks about, well, study the subject. That's one way you can possibly learn about spiritual gifts. Pray about it. That could be another way. Uh, God has gifted you, so you're going to pray to Him. Don't you think He's going to clue you in? Some, some, somewhere, exercise what you think is, is your gift. Uh, he also talks about your feelings. Do you feel comfortable? 
you feel comfortable? See, I feel comfortable when I preach. I always have. And I messed up real bad on one of my first sermons, but, and I guess I wasn't so comfortable in that tent in the dark. It got darker than I thought, and we hadn't, we hadn't realized that. But um, that's the problem if you look at notes all the time. That you'll, you'll, you might get into those problems. It's not a problem if you don't look at notes. But where's your comfort zone? Can you say, hey, this is me doing this? Whatever the gift might be, hospitality. You know, one of the, one of the, here's one real, I calling it a simple gift, but maybe that's not the right way to say it. But we had a church member, she was my first baptism in North America. Her name's Trisha. And, and I'm sure that Trisha had a bunch of gifts, but one of them really stands out. She was really, really good at inviting people to her home, whether she had it clean. Do you not let some folks in your home because it's not clean? <coughs> Pastor says, can I come over? Well, you know, place is not really tidy and kind of hard to tell the pastor that. Got to delay him some way. Or because you haven't prepared food, ladies. She would... She was just so happy to see these guests and uh, com- coming to our little, little group there. And she was a, a really good greeter. When Trisha greeted you, you really felt, someone's interested in me. But then she would follow that up, which was really powerful for our little group because we were just very fragile and could, could easily disintegrate. She was very good at, at, at getting them over to her place, meeting her husband, meeting her family, and you know, whether you believe it or not, the gifts that she exercised were really very evangelistic, though we don't normally think of them that way. We think of evangelism in quite a different way, but she could win people to Christ because of her gift of friendliness, hospitality, or whatever gifts that she had. We even had a big evangelistic series once which just really launched our group big time, kind of doubled our membership from that series of meetings. And I I would say to people later that when they were baptized and joined the church, what, what made the biggest impact on you in that evangelistic series? And very often they would say, the greeters. Because when they walked through, this was in a Nazarene church, where we had the meetings. When they walked through those doors, the greeters were like the first face that they saw. And Trisha was definitely one of those. So I have very, very fond memories of my first baptism in North America. And this was a a re-baptism for her. She'd really strayed away from the Lord big time, but came back with a bang, right? And the Lord used her in a powerful way powerful way. Don't minimize. Don't allow other people to put you down. Don't minimize your place in the kingdom of God. If we had time to carry on reading, we would see that he talks about each part of the body is really, really important. God-given. Yes, we have different ways of expressing our ministries, for sure. Some of us are very differently gifted, but every piece of the puzzle is important. And when every person does their part, then the church is strong, mature, and moves forward. Don't you want to belong to a kind of church like that? 
And I, I would guess that we wouldn't have so many empty pews if that was the case. That this church would fill up, maybe we'd need two services, three services, maybe need a larger building. Hmm, kind of nice challenges, don't you think? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. When he ascends to heaven, he gives gifts to men. And this is your grace. This is a demonstration of your grace to us. And Lord, we thank you. Forgive us, Lord, if we've neglected the gift. Forgive us if we buried it in the backyard. Help us to discover, Lord, the way you've equipped us. Show us how to, to exercise that gift so that others can be blessed within the church and probably without, outside of the church. Just bless every person here, Lord. Help them to find their worth in what Christ has done for them on the cross. And when Jesus comes back, may we hear, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. May this be the experience of every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.